I'm Gabby. I'm Bintu. I'm Tariq. I'm Malia. And I'm Travel. And, and this, this is Comics Verse. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Comics First podcast. If you're listening to this, you've obviously found the podcast, which is awesome. But don't forget to check us out on the web for more in-depth comics analysis. You can obviously find us at our main website, comicsverse.com, on Instagram, at Twitter at at comicsverse, and on facebook.com slash comicsverse. So today we're going to be talking about Incognito, which is a really fantastic and thought-provoking graphic novel written by Matt Johnson and with art by Warren Pleece. We covered this book once before in the street just podcast along with Luke Cage and Hawkeye among other interesting characters and in that podcast we explored race socioeconomics and politics in comics so check that out for sure it's going to sort of link with what we're talking about but given that it is Black History Month here in the States and the fact that this book is so amazing in my opinion at least we thought we'd give it the time that it deserves with a full podcast however before we get into the thick of things you may have probably noticed that Justin has made the horrible mistake of abdicating his usual hosting responsibilities and confirmed them upon me, Gabby Beans, or Dr. Gabby Beans, if you want to include my hard-earned and completely legitimate professional title. Anyway, I think this is a pretty historic day for the Comics First podcast. Like I said, it's Black History Month, and I have to say that this is a very melanin-rich cast. That's right. It's all black at Comics First today. Woo. Super black. Exactly. It's Absolutely. super, it's, it's, it's like iconic all this moment everything. right now. So let's introduce everyone. Tariq. This yes. is your first podcast, right? Absolutely. Yeah, this is my first podcast. I'm happy to be here. Very excited. I'm glad to be doing this uh, during Black History Month. We got it in right under the belt. I, I know. It's like, what is it? Today's the, well, it yeah, doesn't matter left. because it's matter. it matters when this comes out, exactly. not today. That's a great point. Yeah. So we actually have a lot of newcomers today, but we'll get into that later. So Tariq is a recent graduate of Hampton College where he received his BA in English Studies and Film. And I read that you wrote your thesis on the marginalization of black superheroes across media, right? Yes, I did a uh, 20-page senior thesis research paper on the depiction of black superheroes in comic books mm -hmm. and film and how that kind of translates um, and how they're kind of marginalized, like you said, and uh, depicted kind of negatively and positively. It's kind of just a pretty broad Pretty broad research paper, though. No, that's awesome. So I will definitely look forward to maybe reading that one day. Awesome. And then we also have another newcomer to the podcast, Travel. And I read about you, Travel, that you actually have your own website where you do reviews of like comics and music and movies. Uh, so when, when did you start that? Uh, that's all right. I started my website back in 2012. It's uh, called Big Boy Nerd. It's like a it's basically a cross up of comic books, music, different reviews and some like uh, social justice issues. I recently wrote an article on something along the lines of about uh, I, I, what I try to do is like marriage the two worlds together. I, uh, I tried I wrote an article about Thanos and his sexual preference when it comes to dating death, which is the embodiment of embodied as a woman. So I basically uh, wrote the article and flipped it and said that what if death was a man? Would that make oh. him less intimidating? So I like wrote on that and made it into a thing. And so I, I, I try to like bridge the two worlds together and make it make sense. So yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So everyone check out Travel's awesome website. <laughs> and here we have, oh my gosh, I'm looking at her face. I see her beauty. I'm just oh so happy God. she's here. Malia, who is an amazing artist in her own right, but also is like a comics verse OG. Like we've been here for pretty much the same amount of time, right? And you've known Justin longer than I have. Yeah. Oh my God. 2010, I want to say. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I'm old, guys. So <laughs> you're in the, you know, standing on the shoulders of giants or whatever. <laughs> And then last but certainly not least, another newcomer to the podcast, but not a newcomer to my heart. Woo. We have the inimitable 
the incomparable wow. Bintu Conte. So Bintu is a recent graduate of Columbia University where she studied American studies, specifically like American culture. And she was also really deeply involved with the theater scene on campus, as indicated by her illustrious tenure as president of the Black Theater Ensemble. She also survived being my roommate senior year, which I think is probably her most impressive <laughs> qualification. And since graduating, to correct me if I'm wrong, Bintu, she's been kind of an art and theater administrator at large. You've worked for Apollo, right? Yeah. Yeah, um, I worked for the Apollo, I still work for the Apollo Theater. I've done some production work. Most recently, I was like a daily PA for the Broadway show Eclipsed, which was really exciting. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Lupita yeah. in it. Yep. <gasps> Lupita and Din, uh, Denai. Denai, Denai, Denai. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Denai wrote it. She wrote yeah. it. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Uh -huh. Yeah. So it's just like black excellence all around. All okay, around. Guys, so, all month. Exactly. Word. So let's <laughs> get into it. So just to give a little bit of context about the book, Incognito tells the story of Zane Pinchback, who is a black investigative journalist living in Harlem in the 1930s, who's able to pass for white due to his light complexion. So the narrative unfolds kind of like a noir crime drama in which we follow Zane as he travels to the Deep South and uses his transformational ability to cover lynchings. And because he's posing as a white person, he goes generally undetected by the murderous crowds. And I think it's important to note that this conceit of incognito, the idea of the undercover black journalist who passes as white to gain access to white spaces is not simply a clever plot device. It's not just a cool story that the author came up with. There was indeed a real life incognito named Walter Francis White, who was a black man whose European features and light skin allowed him to act as an NAACP investigator in the South. And he used his appearance to record violences against black people. And I thought this was so nuts when I was uh, researching him. He in infiltrated the KKK and got information about them and then would return to the North and, and share what he had learned with the NAACP. He later became the president of the NAACP and was a key civil rights activist until his death in 1955. And this is mentioned in the author's note at the beginning of the book. But another really interesting aspect that I think the author brings in the, you know, in the author's note is the fact that the book doesn't only have historical sources of inspiration, he also, uh, Matt Johnson actually talks about his experience as a person of mixed race with a white appearance, living in a predominantly black neighborhood and also identifying as a black man. And he goes on to write about his twin daughters who were one who was born with darker skin and Afro hair and the other who was born with lighter skin and looser curls. And he sort of meditates on how their appearance will affect their lives in our you know racialized society and how different their lives will be even though they came from literally the exact same place so i thought maybe this would be a good place to start and i'm wondering how do we think the author's personal experience influences and maybe even enriches the book i'd say um i actually met matt johnson about two years ago and seeing him in person seeing the the picture on the cover of the comic you can very well see that although he is black he does kind of have those lighter features and um kind of sharper like a sharper nose and things like that and a lot of time in his protagonist, he uses that to their advantage and he kind of brings in another dynamic, like a interpersonal dynamic and kind of he tries to, I don't know, I mean, in this story, it acts as kind of like a superpower, um, especially since it's a comic book, it kind of it fits well, but a lot of the time it kind of just, it's just another character trait that adds another dimension to the character. So it was very refreshing at the same time, I thought. Right, because I, I mean, I just thought that author's note was so interesting because he also talks about how growing up in a predominantly black community with his appearance he felt like he had to work so hard to be accepted by his black peers. And he imagined a time in which 
his appearance of whiteness would be a tool. And like you said, I think it's really interesting, the idea of a superpower, which we'll definitely get into later when we talk about the character, you know, the the protagonist in more depth. But what did you guys, how did you guys respond to his story about his twin daughters? And if you, if you managed to read that part, like, and seeing them and like wondering how their lives would be different going into the world. I actually, like, based on reading that, I think that it actually touched on points of, like, just colorism, which is, like, within, like, the Black communities when, like, there is a strong almost like a strong dynamic between lighter and fairer skinned black people as opposed to darker skinned black people. I've heard in many different places and many different families that I've met that at times people that are lighter skinned are a lot, a lot more fair, uh, a, lot, a lot more favored within family. So I think that he's ex- not only exploring this avenue for like story driven purposes, but I think he's ex- exploring it, of course, for his own purposes. And I think it's going to be it's going to be quite interesting to see how he's he navigates that field with his own d- daughters, because he has he has to be able to basically explain how beautiful both his daughters daughters are, even though they are different shades or, you know, so I, th- I think that's going to be interesting to see. Yeah I, yeah, I I I really I think that's a really good point of like, how do you I think it's easy when you're, you're in an all black family to yeah. sort of have the swing the pendulum the other way from society and be like black is beautiful but you know can you can you say that black is beautiful and white is also beautiful like how is he gonna and, and obviously you can but it's gonna be I'm, i'd like to you know see their family dynamic yeah, that's interesting but another thing you know just talking generally about the book that i love and, and this is like a very general point but i think that graphic novels allow us to explore social issues and injustices with a level of bluntness that is not unpalatable because we can show injustices in a really stark and realistic way but because it's in the medium of a comic it's in the medium of a graphic novel somehow it's not as offensive as if we show those same sort of injustices on a film or another medium maybe maybe you don't agree with that but i i think we've seen this in a lot of um really great graphic novels that have come out in the last uh, you know 10 years or so like persepolis fun home and even like v for vendetta to a certain extent and so i was wondering like how well do we think that incognito tackles the history of racism in the u.s and and specifically in the 1930s Actually, what I what I found really fascinating, just looking at the first couple of panels, the whole concept of like demasculation was very fascinating to me. In which uh, the Ku Klux Klan would like cut off a black man's penis, and it was like it like to me that basically symbolized the start of like the fetishization with like black men's bodies, and also a lot of ways with black women's bodies too. It powered a stereotype that black people are different and they're more susceptible to pain, and rather they can endure more pain, and that um. It basically tack- it tackled that whole concept that black people are superhuman or otherworldly in, in a different way. It showed that, you know, like, and that, it kind of like, it showed that like it's, it's institutional roots come from things like that. Like people believing that black people can endure more pain or more violent or more angry or can be superhuman or they're more stronger. I, I think that it all came from elements of that from the early times when like racism was so overt and black people were being lynched and mutilated in, in ways like that. So I think that that one panel kind of touched on those things. I think that we get to see it, you know, like you hear the stories, you hear about the history about how like black men were lynched. Obviously we have movies and stuff, but I just think how personal they got with it, with uh, actually like lynching him and then cutting off his penis and then dressing him up as a clown. It was just something about seeing that in like a cartoon format that just, or I wouldn't say cartoon, but like a graphic format that kind of like made it all that more real, which I agree with what you were saying before that comics get to embrace this sort of reality of things without as much criticism. And that's what I think I really felt that when I was reading it because it's just like you can't argue really and say like that didn't happen and you also can't really criticize the author because he's honestly illustrating what is the truth. To respond to that I think 
comics have a lot more freedom. I think just due to the medium, when you look at something like film or television, which is another visual medium, it costs a lot of money to do that. And a lot of people that are in power don't want to tell these kinds of stories. So you, you look at someone like Matt Johnson, who wants to kind of bring attention to the history of racism in the U.S. And you can't really do that in certain mediums. And prose is a lot different because you don't have the visual aspect of it. You just read it, you make images in your head. But being able to see it, even though, it, like Malia said, it is a cartoon, being able to see it kind of realizes it for you a bit more. Like we knew this happened, but to be able to actually see it drawn out it's it kind of has a different feeling definitely and i just think that you know the point that you make about the freedom that you have as a, a graphic artist or you know a comic book writer you know working in conjunction to tell these kind of stories i just i don't i don't know if i've ever seen a lynching depicted you know in a movie i i'm in all honesty i'm not a cinephile i haven't seen that many movies but i just feel that there's a real bluntness and a real immediate effect that it has on you to open the book in this way and to show also one thing that I think is sort of apologized for or is missed out in these conversations about this time in history is the the public festival part of it you know it remind it reminds you of the middle ages when people used to show up to the gallows to see a criminal being killed but instead of it being you know of this person being a criminal this is just some person that they're hanging from a tree and taking postcards with. And that's all true. And I think it's something that we often just either gloss over or, or don't really engage with. And so, you know, going along with that, do we think that this is, an, given that graphic novels are a stylized medium, right? And we're dealing with a concrete history, a painful history. Do we think that Matt Johnson and, and the artist give an accurate depiction of the racial climate and the experience of black people at that time? Like, actually, I think it's great that you, you mentioned that. You mentioned that, like, you know, like a lot of people don't really talk about these things and it's like glossed over in a sense in a lot of ways. Basically, there's like a panel in which in a comic in which like Zane explains his heritage. He uh, talks about he's like the product of Southern tradition that nobody likes to talk about. That meaning like slavery, rape, hypocrisy, that he's just like an extreme reminder. And he actually kind of like talks about it in like, um, talks about race in this way and explains it that whites refuse to see like the past and they don't understand how race is almost like a, it's basically a construct and he he explains that like <laughs> unfortunately white white people like the white majority not all but the white majority tend to only see race in a specific light and they see it in a certain way and it that way has always been fabricated and doctored throughout the whole history of america america and it's hard to see it any other way so he, he explains that and i think that's really great and i think the great the uh, call out to madam cj walker was awesome too absolutely <laughs> yeah i do think it was an accurate uh, depiction of this time i think you see in a lot of the numbers he includes the, t the statistics he did his research so i think a lot of also he's a he's a great writer he knows how to tell a story so a lot of that i mean being black and us knowing about these kind of things i think we can kind of fill in the gaps as to what everything else that happened but i think he did do a good job of kind of painting the picture of this really dark time yeah i, I think and and given the subject of matter of the book i think one thing that i really appreciate is that he doesn't shy away from these, you know, really the lived experience of people during this time. And also the contrast between Zane's experience, Zane and his family and his friends in Harlem during that time, and then going to the completely different world of the Deep South. And so this is kind of linked to what we were talking about before, but just in terms of the setting of the book, what do we think about the presentation of the Deep South and Harlem? Because on a certain level, I think they're meant to be foils to each other. Mm -hmm. And we all, we all know that Harlem 
at that time was not just this, it, it, you know, it was a, a mecca of, you know, black intellectuals and black people attaining social roles that they would never have the chance to in the past. But, you know, there's there's race, there was racism against black people in the North, but it just manifested in a different way. So I wonder if we feel that the contrast between the Deep South and Harlem as this sort of mecca, do we feel like that's an actual presentation of what things were like? Or do we feel like more that was like a device? I don't know if I can answer that question specifically, but something I found really interesting in the way that he described the Deep South was the division between the the white people that were there so that there there were people who were specifically in that town that he went to to see his uh, where his brother was jailed but then there was also those jefferson whites who were hillbillies who lived up in the mountains and that was a very interesting thing because even during slavery time when you think about the division of whites there were the plantation whites and there were people the the redneck slash hillbillies what have you that lived in the mountains who had a different lifestyle so i found that especially intriguing about the deep south that aspect yeah they like to, to, add, to add on to what you're saying because that, that's an awesome point fascinating enough white people in that regard got a chance to have some sort of diversity him just like taking the time out to dis- distinguish between the two showed diversity as opposed to when it came to black people black people usually are monolithic in a lot of stories and zane of course is not mon- monolithic in that regard but just him like pointing that out that okay well i'm here and while i'm here there's still like these sort of white people here you know but in the south it's a different type of extreme and up here is a certain extreme so i think that that was an interesting device to you know yeah tell that story i think it's pretty accurate because it's kind of similar to like present day obviously like times are very different but i feel like in the south where there are a lot more conservative traditional values like if people are racist it's not that surprising you're like oh i'm in the south whatever i understand but whereas like in an industrialized city it's a little bit more it's not as blunt it's not as obvious people are um racism is hidden more or less so that's why i'm just i think that was an accurate description because that's just kind of where we've gotten now obviously we're in a better place but i can definitely understand and like i kind of i don't want to say i relate to it but i can definitely understand Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i would definitely agree with that and i've always been kind of fascinated with the dichotomy between the harlem renaissance and that time and like what black people were going through you know whatever 90 90 miles down south and it's like and when you're in Harlem and you're black and you can be an artist, you can be a doctor, like he says in the comics, like you can be whatever you want to be. But in the South, you're basically not even just black, you're like dead. And you're constantly mm-hmm. dealing with your own mortality every day, especially when you're in a town with a lot of white people, whether hillbillies or, you know, just like plantation owners or whatever. It's kind of like you're constantly in danger, whereas, you know, when you're in Harlem, you can like you have James Baldwin and Langston Hughes and all these kind of people that are creating and kind of pushing forward like the black the black movement i guess something i found really interesting also was you know we they idealized harlem the harlem renaissance would have you but also this understanding that him and his friend zane and carl were white passing and so they mentioned like let's go to the waldorf astoria that's like Mm -hmm. what Mm -hmm. like midtown east or something it's like 53rd and park or something like that so still you know this is their home you know they can contribute something creatively or what have you to their black community at the time but also we're still gonna make sure we have some fun the waldorf astoria where all the bougie people bougie white people are yeah so i found that yeah yeah underdick i that's i totally agree with you with that i think also there was there was still like that element of like segregation going on at like in harlem like all right well there's us black people doing wonderful things but also like like a couple of blocks away there's only whites and you know like so I, i think that's that's interesting yeah
So Incognito starts with an incredibly sobering statistic that I think we all remember that says that over the 29 years between 1889 and 1818, 2,522 black people were murdered by lynch mobs. So we obviously don't, well, not so obviously in some places, as I know they were putting uh, nooses in front of churches and they're still burning down black churches in the South, but it's not as common or very common at all for lynchings to occur. But we still are dealing with the systematic killing of of our people, right? Because according to a study done by the Guardian using national statistics. And 2015, black men between the ages of 15 and 34 were nine times more likely to be killed by the police than any other group of Americans. And even more startling, even though black men are only 2% of America's population, they comprise 15% of the deaths caused by deadly force from the police. So given that we're still dealing with these issues of systematic racism and violence against black people. How do we think that this book resonates or is relevant to the current issues that are facing black Americans and and, and how? Well, I think like you said, the lynchings in, in the 30s, you know, are they kind of and I won't say they set the precedent because there was obviously brutality toward black people before, but they kind of set the standard to where we can just kill black people and because they don't matter, which is kind of what we're still dealing with today with the police. Obviously, it's not as drastic. We don't we aren't getting killed by people that don't have weapons, but the police, they're given guns, they're given license to kill. And like in 1930, they don't think black people matter. They don't think they need to live. Like they not necessarily deserve it, but if they died, it wouldn't matter. So like that, um, and we're still, like you said, we're doing that today with the Black Lives Matter movement and um, all the hands up, don't shoot. We're all, we're, we're constantly trying to combat that. And I think we have been for a while. I think with the internet today, I think more people are aware of it, but I don't think we ever stopped fighting to not die. I think everyone wants to not die. I just think it's a matter of like dehumanizing the black race. Like there have been countless studies that have showed how white people subconsciously view blacks, whether it's from that contradicting continuous statement from other races where it's black people's own fault that they're in that situation or like, you know, that kid wasn't an angel or something like we're not viewed as the same. I would agree that there's like a long history of us first being called animals and not even being considered human. And then once we were considered human, we're not as human where we can just, you know, be forgotten about or killed. So, yeah, I, I, I think I definitely would agree with that. Yeah, I like I like totally agree with you. It's like 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 you were saying that it's a matter of it like being like when, when it comes to black people, like even when we are killed in today's times in modern times, like the victim is usually demonized in some sort of way, like the victim turns into sometimes somehow some way the media like is able to completely like funnel a different type of narrative for the, the victim that is black. Basically, it fuel it fuels most like of like middle white America or just white America in general of the ideas of what they already think of how black people should be conducting themselves or should be acting or not acting. I think that to piggyback on what everyone was saying that um it, it basically shows that like when it comes to like what happened in the 30s and to what's going on now is that racism is still alive and well but it's a lot more subvertive that it's a, it's it's more of a, a place that you have to really look and understand what you're looking at in order to see how it works it works in different ways it's not as overt it, it you know so. right but there's these really startling continuities between what we see happening at the beginning of Negro and our current moment right because he he talks about Matt Johnson talks about the fact that all of these lynchings are occurring, but for some reason they're not news. And today, I remember when Mike Brown was killed and I was talking to my dad about it and he was saying, you know, people we're always getting killed. It's just on the news now. And so I think we are entering a very particularly sort of interesting moment in which 
these crimes are being publicized, but because we don't have control over the narrative, they're being publicized in a way that is very harmful to us. But at least now these these things are news. And we don't we don't want to forget the events that are being chronicled in Incognito were less than 100 years ago. Right. And when you think about it that way, it's kind of like, of course, this has relevance. Yeah, I think I have two points. Something I find really interesting is that, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement is happening now and people are thinking as though we are freshly angry. And I'm just I'm just thinking, you know, Rodney King was brutally beaten like early 90s. I remember that was like huge news when I was young. And it's so it's not and it's not as though this is like newly happening. Like, you know, we're getting like police brutality is this like new issue. It's always been an issue. It's just that we now have access to ways to to publish that to the public. So social media, the fact that like now almost everybody has access to a phone and almost everybody has access to a computer and everybody has access to a television because it, it could also be one thing where like all of us have um, cameras, but none of like barely any of us had com- computers maybe like 10 years ago. That wasn't a common thing to have 10 or 15 years ago. It wasn't a common thing to have in your home, but now almost everybody has access to that. So it's being more widespread that we're all seeing it in front of our faces. And I think something that also is cool that connects to what was what was in that those those first couple panels of Incognito was the fact that these white people were taking pictures to put on postcards to send to people and I found that so interesting because you know these people are dying you're taking photographs of it and you're sending it as this like you know happy card that's going to go around the world and right now we have the power or anybody has the power to film something or take a picture of it and send it around the world. Yeah, just to respond to that, I think to address the postcard thing, I think it's less that they're sending it around as a happy thing and more that they're just like profiting off of the carnage because like, they're That's selling true. they're selling the postcards for money with the pictures on them. That's and I think you made an excellent point that this has been happening just in the past people didn't have cameras and everyone didn't have a camera on their phone. And now that we do when we have the internet, there are videos, we you know, there's there's video of any time a black person gets shot, we see it happen now. You know, it's not just like we heard about it and then the news can change the narrative. We see it. So it, it, it brings a different kind of angle to the same thing that we've been dealing with, I think. It's almost as if our version of what of what Zane Pinchback is doing in the novel is the person with their camera phone, you know, chronicling the violence. And at the same time, it's we're stuck in this place of, you know, I every time a new video is posted, I have to watch it because I have to know what happened. But I'm just like, when am I going to be able to stop watching these videos? But we have to see it. And, it, and it's and it's sort of our only recourse against, you know, to, to have proof of what is happening in these communities like you know the video of the cop in the uh, who was shutting down the pool party and you see him body slam a, a 13 year old tiny girl and how are you supposed to believe that that's supposed to happen in the society that we live in unless someone had taken that video i mean i more or less i definitely agree with your point and i think i think it's just uncomfortable because it, it's like we were saying before it's bringing a reality that's been like kind of muddied and smugged for so long and i mean i even remember like before the black Lives matter movement there used to be jokes like this one comedian i can't remember his name but he basically was trying to be funny and this always stuck with me and he basically was saying like black people it's not because you're black you're getting pulled over it's because your music is too loud or something like that and people were laughing and i was just like okay but like when i was in seventh grade in fbi 
FBI agent told me that, like, yes, the police do look for people like you. So, I mean, I'm going to believe the FBI agent before I believe you guys. So, and I just think the fact that, like, it's like, hey, we've been telling you this has been happening for years and we're actually giving people the visual evidence. People don't really know how to react. So I just think that connection where, you know, he's kind of like this hero that's doing, like, the hard work and making it very known for the public to consume is really interesting. And I and I honestly appreciate it because I more or less, like, kind of try to do that myself. But I just think it's just a matter of how comfortable people are with seeing it, whereas, which is really where all the negative backlash comes from. To, pick, to piggyback on what you were saying, I think that's a really great point you make about, like, joke about the person being like, oh, of course, your music is too loud. Ah, it's, everyone's laughing. I think that, like, actually coincides with, like, white people's belief in, like, respectability politics. Usually what happens is if, oh, if you white people, if you black people didn't like act like this, y'all wouldn't be dead or y'all wouldn't be beaten, beaten half to death or this wouldn't be happening. Y'all wouldn't be in jail. Like th- this is what it is. And I, I think I think actually in the book, Zane actually magnificently like explains that most people simply unconsciously play into race and assimilate to its roles. It kind of runs into that parallel of like a lot of like the Bill Cosby, his a lot of his like ideals when back in the 90s before we found out that he was a serial rapist. Um, <laughs> but it plays into that whole now like the whole thing of being like, oh, well, if you just picked your pants up like this, that and the third wouldn't be happening, you know, and it's it's disguised in a lot of different ways, like with, with people of color, like people of color are like, OK, like if. Like apparently like we at times we even we place these standards on ourselves and, and on our families. You're like, oh, well, why would you give your son or daughter that type of name? You know, they're not going to be able to get a job like that. Or you we teach our children that their afros aren't beautiful. Things like that. Like and it's, and it's all playing into this like constant narrative of like white respectability and like how you should assimilate to be closer to how white people act, because that is the default in this country. And that is actually a really great segue point to another question I had about the cultural relevance of this book, because I think that, you know, there's sort of two camps. There's the camp of people who see our history, see that we haven't really dealt with the history of slavery and we are in the process of acknowledging it, acknowledging the scars that we bear from that period, which, as we mentioned before, was like four grandmas ago. It was not that long ago. But I remember, this is sort of a weird example, but I remember when 12 Years a Slave came out and I would talk to some of my, you know, fellow black people about it and like, wow, I want, you know, I got to go see this film. And and a lot of people were just like, I just don't want to see that. I just, I'm sick of these depictions of slavery. I'm sick of constantly dwelling on this history. We need to move forward. And this isn't, you know, an unpopular idea at all. A lot of black celebrities, you know, very rich and powerful people, and, you know, maybe even role models in the black community, you could argue, have talked about this idea of moving on and not, you know, playing the victim, so to speak. For instance, you know, Pharrell talked about that concept of the new black and that we should, you know, now we've we've reached, we're not the old black anymore. Now we're the new black. So, so we can move on. And so I wonder, like, given the, that sort of dialogue that's going on within the community and, you know, outside of the community, do we think that a piece of art like Incognito is this important in helping us interrogate our history or is this holding us back I'm a little embarrassed to say but I kind of do subscribe to the idea that you know I when slave movies come out or black struggle movies come out I kind of avoid them cuz they they are comfortable you are facing something I mean I did watch 12 years of slave personally because I'm as a filmmaker as an aspiring filmmaker and a film student I'm a big fan of Steve McQueen and the technical direction of the film is incredible in terms of the acting directing writing but a lot of time I mean we talked about the videos a while back when cops shoot black people or 
when when it's contemporary, I completely avoid it. Because especially when it's a black man, like I didn't watch Fruitvale Station as much as I'm a fan of Michael B. Jordan and Ryan Coogler, the director. I didn't watch it because that's it's like watching yourself die, and you don't want to have to deal with that. And also, we don't need. Uh, for black people, like those slave movies aren't for us, right? They're mm-hmm. for white people. Like we know mm-hmm. what we went through. Right. right. We our oh, parents told us, that. or mm-hmm. we like we were living it now. So they're for white people to be reminded of. So I don't feel kind of guilty about avoiding like not watching Amistad, not watching Roots, because it's not for me. I knew what happened. You yes, know sir. what I mean? So I, I think that's something really important to kind of take forward. But as it pertains to Incognito, that's a very personal story, and that that's something that we can kind of get behind and enjoy. because one, it's it's kind of inspirational in terms of like we come out on top in a certain way um and two we can kind of remove ourselves because it did take place so long ago i see what you're saying but i think that it's not necessarily true that we all know what happened during slavery because i will say my parents come from a very particular kind of brand of middle class black people who are very whose whole notion of like aspirations of success were tied into assimilating to white culture so we never talked about slavery we never talked about what actually happened and my parents are from the south and we never talked and so when i saw 12 years of slave i totally understand where you're coming from if you're more educated on that but what 12 years of slave did for me and what you know incognito does for me is that 12 years of slave put in context for me like what happens in a society when people own people and how it's not only the slaves that lose their humanity it's also everyone involved loses their humanity and that's not something that i had engaged with on as as a visceral level so i understand i i I suppose yeah so i'm just saying for me that was really really illuminating i find what you just said so interesting because my parents are African. So even when I was a kid and I would come home from school and we had, a, you know, Black History Month, and we'd learn about Harriet Tubman. My mom didn't know what the Underground Railroad was. And that's because she had no reason to because she was born and raised in Africa. But so when you had with your question, when you had asked about when you had mentioned that people say that we should move on and, you know, try to get over this like slavery happened so long ago i think when when people say that i think and they don't want like black people to play the victims i'm just like there are other aspects of our society that would have to change along with that for me to and i and i have a very complex identity because i was born and raised in america so i identify with being african and with being Mm -hmm. african-american when i think of people saying you have to forget about slavery and you have to forget the hundreds of years people were enslaved and were thought of as property and not as human beings i also have to think that you know you're going to have to change not only the way that white people think Mm -hmm. but also the way that other races think think. so when you had mentioned you know the idea of white being the default or white being the neutral other races are also going to have to change the way that they think about white people or the way that they think about black people or what have you. It's like it's not that easy for me because I'm also going to have to other little stereotypes that belong to Asian people or what have you. I'm going to have to change my stereotypes about them, just like how they're going to have to change their stereotypes about me. And we're going to have to stop thinking of, oh, I'm going to go into a whole rant about race. My no, 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 no. That's a good point. That's wonderful. That's a that's a wonderful, wonderful point. I mean. I think me personally, my personal opinion on it is like, I think it's nearly impossible to completely like be quote unquote, the new black and like forget about every single thing that's happened to black people in this country because it shapes and forms our whole like, like black experience in this country when it comes to segregation in schools, when it comes to redlining people when it, in different neighborhoods, when it comes to all these different things that is based in its roots on slavery and racism. So you can't simply just be like, move on. No, you can't move on because like all of these things are shaping your unconscious like life. <laughs> 
these things happening around you, you don't even realize it. It's like, like I, I, my, and then like, like what Gabby was saying, it's like only like a couple grandmas ago. Like my, my, I was raised with my grandparents, and my grandma w- was met Martin Luther King and like wa- walked at the march, and it was like so for her to like tell me like certain things that she's actually witnessed being chased by dogs and like being hosed down, like that's so real to just me. And I and, I, and I'm a millennial, and it's just like to me, like it's something I just simply can't forget because I I see so many reminders of it in my normal life, you know. So I'm sorry. No, it's fine. That's that's that was sad. Um, <laughs> but I I I don't want to say I'm indifferent to it, but why what I started saying that or was going to is because I don't think you should actually have to erase it but I do understand why certain people are tired of it especially actresses and actors because like when was the last time you saw a movie about the holocaust so I mean I think also too we want to stop being awarded for playing a slave on a television or in a movie like I just I think that's where majority of the problem comes from because it's like we're not really recognized until it's like oh my god the poor strife of black people but it's like then people don't really care so like it's frustrating because it's like we we keep seeing what we have to live through and there's no change but we have to keep visually seeing it represented in movies over and over again so it's annoying which is wonderful (laughs) which is why incognito as a story is so interesting because it's exploring this time in which we were being oppressed and we were being subjugated but it's giving us agency in interacting with that and Mm -hmm. i think that sort of is what you're talking about and it sort of is the perfect marriage of exploring a painful history but not having us always be in a spot of victimization always being in a spot of powerlessness we have an amazing protagonist who we'll talk about in a bit who is actively fighting against the power structure and like you said comes out on top so it is i guess i was thinking about these incognito in the same sort of boat as a movie like 12 years a slave but now having had our conversation i'm realizing Mm -hmm. that's actually really different because we we have that agency and it's it's a story about overcoming it's not a story about succumbing or and like enduring. surviving exactly right. exactly yeah so I, one more point it just i like so and also saying why i was saying i was indifferent about it too is like with that point of view and then yours Tariq, and the fact that like it's hard for you it's just kind of like i understand people saying i don't want to see that because it's kind of like having people who like suffered or had lost someone to like 9-11 and then like they're like oh but here watch this movie and like they keep shoving it in your face so i just think that's where the pain comes from and like people like to terrell's grandmother like they don't want to see that i've had like relatives say like they don't like hearing the n-word sometimes because it reminds them like it, it, you can't really be mad at someone for feeling that way however i do think it's still important to have these movies but not at the volume that they're always being produced like we don't need it that many times we also just need more movies that do other than like you know victimizing so i do have like one i've like there's like two elements of what you were saying actually i want to peg you back on well first one was is um i was i to kind of be in lieu, but it was like I I um I read Bitch Planet every month, so uh, whenever it comes out, and um at the back of the comic, Kelly Sue DeConnick writes about like these editorials about like what goes on, and she was she was explaining like about like her position on like watching police brutality and like Sean Bell and like all these different things and how hard it is for her to like view that as like, and she says that like she believes that her being a white woman is almost like it's, it's like she's spectating, and it's like it's really hard for her to like digest that the same way, you know, as a black person, like you know this is your you know this is your life, but but when she's looking at it, she's like, I'm on the outside looking in. And I spoke to my aunt about it. And I asked her, like, what's her position on, like, a, a, a white woman that's actually providing, like, 
a, play, uh, a um, platform for black people and black characters, how she feels about someone saying something, something like to that de- degree. And she was saying that, you know, like she thinks it's important that white people see these things to, we don't, we like, the point is we don't want white people to feel like insensitive. We don't feel them wanting to feel insensitive, but we also don't want them to be desensitized to it. So I, I think you have a really great point. Okay. So one of the as- the standout aspects of the book for me are the characters. And so in keeping with the film noir kind of aesthetic, each character I felt was really idiosyncratic and was very fully realized in a kind of a filmic way. Like you can see these people popping in and you can get a sense of their whole lives just in the few panels that they might show up. And obviously this extends very especially to the black characters because for once we're at the forefront who would knew so it's awesome so i wanted to just focus on and talk about zane for a little bit and i i want to know what you guys think about how did you think of him as a protagonist like was he multi-dimensional enough for you how did you feel about him I enjoyed following him through the story. I'll say I'll start by saying that. I think you made a great point about it being a noir story. And I think he does fit I think all the characters fit into the kind of noir archetypes, but I think they all have that kind of spin on it because of the time period they're in because of the people they are. And so when we talk about Zane, I don't think he's any more interesting or less interesting, but the fact that he's a black man doing what he does makes him that much more important and, like you said, interesting. So he's not like a detective, but he's a reporter, which is this, a, a detective without a gun, basically. And I think he does a, uh, Matt Johnson does a great job of kind of crafting a, a noir tale with black people at the forefront, kind of giving it that really interesting dynamic. I was just going to say, I loved it because I felt like it, everything that he did or all of the conflicts that he had to do, it was just very human. Like from the beginning, you see like what, I won't say daily, but like what his life generally is like, how it affects him, and then him kind of want to break to wanting to break away from that, and then realizing like that's where that superhero aspect comes in. That like it's kind of his job that he has to continue this. So I I really loved how that dynamic played throughout the story all the way to the end because it's just kind of like he really is a hero in his own right, but it's not easy, and it's also like approaches the realism of what it means to actually be a hero. I think that he he was Zane is interesting is very interesting to me. It was like oddly enough, I think that he was he almost had like a, a batman-esque feel that he was like a sage he like knew what to do in a certain situation but you were still like scared for him you think that something's gonna happen to him you you, were, you don't know like you know that he's like smart enough to figure it out as it goes but you think that there's a strong possibility he may have a misstep and put himself in a situation that he may not be able to get out of so i thought he was an interesting protagonist can i say when i was so i felt a little conflicted by my opinion when I was um, reading it a little bit because when I was reading it at first I wanted there in my head I was like I wanted there to be a bigger reason for why he was this type of reporter like I wanted I for some reason I wanted to know like I was like did his friend get lynched before like before the moment I'm seeing him in the in in the comic and that's why he's like I need to expose this to everyone and so when you had said Batman I was like did his dad get lynched but but by the end by the time I got to the end and you know you know comparing this to modern times I was like you know what a lot of these activists who are acti- like you know the Black Lives Matter activists whether or not they have somebody who was was killed by a by a police officer they're down for the freaking cause and they're doing stuff so then by the end I was just like Bintu shut up I was just like <laughs> thank God somebody like within his world with within his universe is doing the work that he was doing so I 
I enjoyed that. Yeah. Just the, I mean, that was, that's a really great point. And to kind of bring what Malia said into it, like the superhero thing, like with great power comes great responsibility. And as black people, if you're in a position of power, you have an absolute responsibility mm -hmm. to bring awareness to the issues that we face and to help solve them. So he found himself with that power being his light skin and white features, which it's interesting that that's a power, but he, ha he like, he it was his responsibility to use it. So I never, I totally see why like i had the same thought i was like well i wonder is he just a reporter that does this but you realize that like you kind of he had to like, like at the end of the book he says no one else is gonna do it i have to do it yeah and his his boss had said you're one of those guys who have the anger still in him and at first that wasn't enough for me and then by the end i was just like that is enough for real people in real life right right right, right. you know and so i and i love that point too because like i didn't approach that i kind of just like opened was like had that intense scene in the beginning and then him talking about like yeah this is this is what i do and i was like wow this is really crazy because i would definitely probably not have like the strength <laughs> to do something right. as dangerous as that is because like if you think about it, like that's really dangerous like he mm -hmm. almost got killed in the very beginning of the book and what saved him was like a passing train so i mean Lucky. i yeah i thought it was kind of humble in a way like that he in the time period that he was in he realized that he could blend in and like be mistaken as a white mm -hmm. person but he didn't like take that and he took he used it yeah to do something else and to raise awareness which he could pretty much could have just been you know hanging out downtown with his friends with all the bougie people but like he was like no i'm gonna actually do something with this whether or not he you know may not have had the biggest reason that someone died but it's also too like maybe it could have been you know that he had to see what it was like like we didn't live in the 1930s so we don't know what everything it was that like he'd seen so that could have been the reason there you know like he's also from the south so you know growing yeah. up you probably yeah. saw a lot of that horrible stuff but like to like piggyback on what you guys were saying about like just superpowers and like how like you know if you're black and you just want to be down with down with the cause and like try to make something change make something move could it be argued that like when it comes to like black people like us having the ability to manage trauma and like tr and like actually being able to process it and like put it and use it for like productive means could that be like a superpower that we have like we have to not only do we have to like navigate this environment that's america but we have to pass it down to our children explain what it is in like a feasible means and then like send them off with that knowledge and try to make it better for their fellow man or fellow woman so do you think that that could be like its own superpower in a sense yeah. I think it's definitely something that we have to deal with. But I think that is just what is the what's the alternative? You know what I mean? I, like uh -huh. the, the the alternative would to, would just be to, I don't know, like lay down and die or just like cry all the time, like <laughs> only eat donuts. Like, I don't know. Like <laughs> I just feel like that's that's the reality in the world that we live in. And mm. it is amazing that we've been able to come so far, given that given the history that we have in this country, which is just, you know, just death and it's, uh, I'm reading A People's History of the United States and it's just making me want to just move to, I don't know, somewhere London. else. But yeah, but I but I, I also think another aspect of Zane that I found gave him a really interesting degree of depth is his conflict in his own identity, being this person of privilege and of power to be able to expose the violences that are occurring in the South, but wanting to be able to go forth with his own artistic identity and writing identity and wanting to gain recognition because he talks about later how Harlem is so freeing because you can be whatever you want, but he's both empowered and subdued by his own ability to like perform this very specific role because he can't show who he is because then you'd be able you'd have to, and so it's it's an interesting take on i guess like that superhero trope of wanting to reveal your secret identity but not being able to I think him being a reporter is very interesting because he could have, I don't think he had to be a reporter necessarily to 
for the story to work. But I think a journalist is kind of a profession that's in the middle between an artist and an academic. And so as an artist, I mean, as an academic, you have this need to bring, to shed knowledge and to, sh- to show knowledge. And as an artist, you have this kind of inner need to want to be famous in a way, like to be recognized for your art. And so that's kind of him conflicting. He had the responsibility to help people, which is what he was doing, but he also wanted to get recognition for it. And I think that's a very interesting dichotomy that he had. And he he found a way to make it work and balance it at the end. So Absolutely. And so here at Comicsverse, we like to analyze our characters using the writings of a really, really prolific acting teacher named Susan Batson. She wrote a book called Truth. And in the book, she sort of breaks down the aspects of character that an actor needs to identify in order to play to play a character with a level of like really like internal necessity and, and, and a deeply, you know, richly rendered internal life. So why don't we why don't we look at Zane and go a little bit deeper into his character? So what do we think Zane's like public persona would be, which would be the face that he shows to the world in order to hide his inner need? Incognito, I right. think, in in a, a nutshell, I think that's what it was. It was like like your public persona, like it was his Superman, his Clark Kent, is like he is incognito. That's who he is, and that's kind of the face, quote unquote, that he puts puts forth. And that going into the whole, it kind of com- comes to conflict with his, I guess, its persona, and then need, and need. then tragic flaw, and the tragic flaw, right? So his need, his need is is to be an artist and to be recognized, and his persona is incognito to help people, and they kind of come into conflict with him wanting to get out of the game altogether. I- I actually also think that like he to to pick to, to also, you know, in conjunction with what you said, I think that also his him like trying to like deal with like understanding that he is a stark like physical reminder of like the rape and like the hypocrisy of like of like white people when it comes to black people. I think he's actually trying to like trying to like come to terms with that as him being like a physical representation of that and trying to use like who he is and what he was as a product of something terrible and make it into something useful and productive and good so i think that like i think he wrestles with that i think that's what the the whole panel in which he's like looking at himself in in the mirror and he's like pressing his hair he's like doing all these different things i think he like he goes through those notions in his mind all the time like all right i'm that i'm this i'm from that but now i'm this so yeah so what would we say his tragic flaw is? It's difficult because he kind of comes out on top, so it's not a tragedy. <laughs> but if we had to say that he had a tragic flaw, what do you what what would we say? Because I think you're right with the idea that his public persona is incognito. It's the investigative journalist who's selfless and you know goes into danger to help his fellow people. And then his need, obviously, is to be recognized. His need is to be to express himself and to be an artist and to be seen as an artist. So maybe his tragic flaw would be to to have like his hubris almost i was gonna say that because he goes into because he doesn't always manage to he, he he escapes by the skin of his teeth and he gets this sense of you almost get the sense that he thinks he can fix anything and obviously we see tragically that that's not the case when one of the variables that he wasn't accounting for his friends interaction with you know the town in mississippi ends tragically yeah i would say his tragic flaw is definitely it, you know, wanting to be recognized. And then what ends up happening is that he does get recognized. Like he thinks he's invincible. It's like white people don't want to see me. I'm invisible because they're, you know, they're blind. But ironically enough, he gets noticed by the guy with one eye. Yeah. Right. So it's kind of that weird, I guess, I don't want to say metaphor, but there's kind of a, a literary device they're using, like in the land of the blind, the one eyed man is king. So, um, yeah, I think that would be his tragic flaw. Yeah, that his, he, thinking that he's invincible. I exactly. Think that would definitely invisible. Be. Yeah. Yes. 
Good point. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I was I was gonna swing around more to dependability, like the because I don't know if the story would have turned out differently if like he honestly would have died if his friend wasn't there, like if he would have taken or if he would have gotten lynched instead of his friend if he didn't help him out because people apparently saw him get off the train. So I mean, but I think that that makes more sense is just that like realizing that like he is a human and there could be someone who like outsmarts him one day. So I think it would be interesting to talk about the portrayal of white people in the book because do we think that they were treated as sensitively as black black characters and do we think it's important that they would be? I... I think that um, I don't. I don't think that I. I think that the the story was, of course, like black centric. I think that we we had to stay with the characters that were black. But I do think that they. I do think, figuratively speaking, there was a there was a, there was a showing of like there are, there is a minority of white people that are decent. You know, like when you had that. I think it's the sheriff of the town that was like holding his brother. Like when he was decent enough to let them go after everything happened, he was just like, you know what, like go. But also, like he still is caught up in the trappings of like his racist mindset. So he's like you know you n-words like y'all can you know y'all, y'all you don't see like uh, me being good to you right now like you guys are that stupid like he's still on that but ultimately he still is decent enough to be like you guys can go you know so i do think that yeah the general consensus is like racist yeah but there's like there's like there's some good apples in there i also because you know previously had mentioned about the two different types of white people that were in the south that they depicted like the more redneck hillbilly people and the people who were more so in the town and i absolutely loved those weird people in the mountains the jefferson whites yes those jefferson whites (laughs) because they were they they were not they were racist but they were not they were like we're not gonna lynch you we're not gonna kill you we know that we feel that there's gonna be an uprising of black people and i'm gonna be your king so they weren't trying they were they put them in cages but they were also like these people need to live so that it was so interesting because it's such a power thing and it was a power thing in a different way than the townspeople and who were going around lynching i really enjoyed that difference yeah i love that point that was so interesting i i think it's just once again it it just depicts the the homogenous society that comes with racism because you know sometimes people will say like oh if i was born back in that time i wouldn't be racist you probably would because like because like it's it's just like it's a mindset it's like an equation it's like if you've grown up like with people who all think the same and like Mm -hmm. your granddad's racist your dad's racist like you're not going to be able to see outside of that that's like very much like what we're dealing with now like people just don't see it so i mean like even with the like flavorful language and stuff that they use like yes someone may not think that he's like he's racist but like the way that he addresses someone who is a human being in with like these terms that make him less of a human it's just like i understood it and um i know why he did it because he was very much like we said like bringing out the realism of what racism was that this is what the norm was like even how like zane addressed himself or other people like it's very kind of crazy to think that like that was the norm but that's just how it was so yeah yeah i mean i think that's a great point and going back to bintu's point about the different kinds of white people i think that has a lot to do with the context most of it's always set in the south one there's just more white people right and so the more you're gonna have more kind of diversity you have like the jefferson whites and you have the townspeople you have the plantationers you have the sheriff you have the cross-dressing lady who wants to be who's part of one world wants to be part of another who's part of one gender wants to be part of another so i think when you when you have a story set with black people as protagonists in a certain time in American history, there isn't going to be much diversity, right? Because they're all oppressed and they're all trying to get out of that. But when you look at the white people, there's different, like those are the kinds of people that move the story along because the black people are always going to be at a certain, like, they're always going to be, I'm saying the black people are always going to be like, all right, we have to find a way to 
overcome this. And you have the white people who aren't all going to be oppressive. Some are going to be oppressive. Some are going to be helpful. Some are going to be like powerful players like Francis and stuff like that. I agree and I disagree because I think the whole conceit of the book is that we have someone who can straddle both worlds. So it's a black person. You know, Zane is a black person who is inhabiting the role of, you know, by virtue of his race, he is one of the oppressed, right? But then the whole point of his superpower, right, is that he can occupy the space of power. And the way that he's able to, and it's it's something very specific to him, like he's finessed, he's able to finesse it in that way. As we see when his hilarious best friend decides to blend in by pretending to be an English lord, which I thought was absolutely hilarious but i obviously has sort of tragic a tragic end but yeah i I think you know and also with the um, character of michaela she's very interesting because she's a a, a white woman but she's you you don't really you can't really tell if she's racist or not you can't really tell if she has any morals or not until the end when you find out that she just is screwing everyone over but i think i guess i do see what you're saying that they're i guess because they are like you know the whites were the sort of the default culture at that time they have more agency to sort of to choose their own path and 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 by virtue of that there's a bit more difference but i think there are a lot of variations between the black characters in the in the book i actually think i think the with the inclusion of uh, michaela i think that we got another foil like another avenue to to like to go through which was like interracial dating and like how (laughs) how like we could talk about interracial dating and then when the women are involved we could talk about like how women are just seen as property because like white men were like that's my property like why are black men that are less than me or like sitting here trying to take my woman like this is my property you crazy so i think that with her inclusion like we it, it it kind of like brought that element in like white man's territory. You know, we didn't get a chance to see the other side of it when it comes to like black women's point of view about interracial dating, but we got a chance to see how it, it was with white men feeling that way. So I thought that was really, really interesting too. At the end of the book, when Zane is showing his brother around Harlem, he speaks to him about how in the North, black people aren't bound by the restrictive social structures that rule the South. He tells his brother that he can be whoever he wants to be because identity is open-ended. I really like that quote. And one of the most interesting and thought-provoking aspects of the of Incognito is its exploration of the politics of passing, and by extension, the idea of race as a social construct and not just a distinct biological reality that as a concept is completely like unassailable. So and I think this is this this concept of passing is really, really central to Incognito, obviously, given the nature of Zane's investigation in the South. But did you find the presentation of the politics of passing in the book interesting? And what did you think about this thing that Zane says of assimilation as revolution? I think that it actually falls in line back in what I was saying about like white respectability. But, you know, like to give like some sort of con- when I was in college I had a teacher that actually well, actually not me, my uh, my girlfriend when she was in college and she told me told me about this teacher that taught her about like the like how like people like black people and white people like got our features like, you know, black people like our features are the reason why we have like bigger noses and reason why we our hair like, like gets much knotted get much more knotted is because like it's a mechanism to actually release more heat from our bodies when the heat hits us. So our noses are big in order to release more heat from our bodies. And the same thing goes with white people and the, and the other stream is like white people's noses are more narrow to trap in more heat. Same thing with their lips being thinner to trap in more heat. The professor actually went to, goes on to say there are two there. There's more differences between two bananas than a white person and a black person. So it's like, when it comes to to the, like based off of that, it just it, it only further proves that race is a social construct. It's not something that is like that is like so drastically different from the rest of the world. It's like we are we. This is a, a, a mostly American construct of like how we see people. So I, I think that definitely. I think that's a great point. And to go 
how that factors into assimilation through revolutions. Like race is a social contract. It's not just about you know a scientific thing. It's not. There's no way to measure it. So as we're trying to overcome our oppression, we can't go to war right with white with everyone that doesn't look like us. We we can't because it's not about how you look. It's about where you are socioeconomically and where you are culturally. So I think what uh, Zane was trying to do. I mean, it was a lot more, it was less metaphorical, more literal. He was actually becoming white to further his agenda as well as other African-Americans' agenda. And I think when you look at it in the contemporary culture, a lot of celebrities and stuff, they kind of, I mean, white people are in power, right? So you kind of have to, not have to, but the idea is that you kind of live within that culture and do the best for yourself until you get a platform where you can help other people like you that don't have the opportunity to get into that to get to that status right and zane actually has that wonderful monologue when he's preparing to go incognito and he says there's one thing that most of us speaking about the black people know that most white folks don't that race doesn't really exist culture ethnicity sure class too but race is just a bunch of rules meant to keep us on the bottom race is a strategy the rest is just people acting playing roles and i think that the whole conceit of incognito is directly showing the slipperiness of race as a concept because he by virtue of just changing a few simple things about his appearance is able to change his race he literally is able to change his race because once and and this is the history of passing in the u.s is that if you can emulate the dominant culture well enough you will be assimilated into the culture and then you will be able to have free passage within the culture so i think that the whole book shows that Race is is simply just a category that if you are able to fill in certain boxes, you're able to inhabit and thus your whole interaction with society changes, right? Yeah, I I saw this video, which I I, I think kind of relates to it or Zane or the author's actual like real life story is that this lady had a sister was a lot light skinned. She was she had lighter skin. She had lighter eyes, straighter hair. So she borderline looked like she was white. And there was a situation where there was like a, the lady was trying to say or the accountant was trying to say that her check was like fraud. It wasn't real. And then like had to pull out this book and then like was trying to like question her and make her just seem like she was like this really crooked person. And her sister was standing on the sideline watching this happen. But the lady didn't realize that they were related because they look so different. So she walked up there and she was like what are you doing and so the minute like she did this like everyone else kind of went around and realized like oh this is this is wrong so it's just kind of like with just the way she looked she had the power to make everybody come together and then help her sister out who looks more like a woman of color just because of how she looks so i think assimilation as power is it's definitely a real thing whether or not it's like a legitimate biological truth no but in this society, it is because it makes it so other people like have more power or ability to like make things more known than others. So I believe in it as far as that's concerned. To be to like be clear, to be like like a little bit more clear is like yes, like white people like have more power, but let's like I want to be like like starkly clear is that like it's more so white men have more power than anybody else in society because society is tailor made for them for their existence for their progression. It's not it's, you know it's just the way it is. It's like I forget it was a professor that I was listening to on a podcast that said that like racists are the believers while white supremacy is the doctrine or something along those lines like that when it comes to like in order to be a, like considered great or wonderful or like aspirational you need to assimilate and you need to get closer to what is considered good and holy and white and pure so it, you know like when it, we have <laughs> different experiences like that like what Zane was going through he's basically just trying to in a sense, of course, assimilate as words being tossed around a lot, but uh, into what is considered good and what is considered respectful. 
Um, I just wanted to give um, a really quick, cool example of that. And in Matt Johnson's, one of his last novels, Pim, which came out, I think, 2011, 2012, he has an excerpt where he talks about doves. And it's something I learned that doves are literally the same as pigeons. They're just white. And because they're pure white, they get to be at weddings, they get to be caught and, and flown, and they get to be in movies and fly around. But whereas pigeons are seen as flying rats, literally, right? Just because they're not white. So I think it's the idea that white equals good anything else. Not even just black, because pigeons aren't black. It's just anything else is bad. So I think that definitely goes well into what you were saying. Yeah, a deviation from the normal. Deviation, deviation exactly. from the, the default, yeah. So this is kind of an obtuse question, but going along with the idea of Incognito as kind of film noir crime drama, I think the art really reflects that kind of style with the, you know, the fact that it's in black and white and the stark shadows and the way the artist renders the scenes in this kind of filmic way. But I was wondering if you had any ideas about how the artist renders the slipperiness of race using the art and, and this idea of passing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you kind of touched on it yourself, it being in black and white. I mean, that's the, kind of the main thing. I, I don't think that was, you know, a financial decision or I think that was purely for the sake of the story because when the first two, first two, three, couple panels when you when we see Zane, we don't know it's him, right? We just see the bubbles. He, we know he's talking and we see a bunch of white people and we see a black person hanging from a tree. That's all we see. And as the panels progress, we're like, oh, this is the guy. But he, we don't know visually and that's the kind of the whole point, tricking the audience and he's tricking the people that are there as well. So I think it, I mean, obviously it being a noir, it being black and white, that all fits in, but I think it has more to do with the racial dynamic of, of colorism, so... I really liked it because, and I just hate to be that person, but just in being an artist and I have this really big pet peeve with people who are so freaking literal when it comes to drawing like black people, like anybody that's not white to the point where it's like downright kind of racist. And this is like reflects with any sort of art form. I mean, you don't I, I can like be more specific, but not everyone is responsible for this or does this, but it's just a pet peeve of mine. And so I just thought it was interesting because the black and white just kind of like you can tell when there was a, a person that was darker than the main character, but it wasn't like he was completely colored in. It's just his features were more pronounced you saw him like as an actual person so it wasn't just like oh this is a black person just like oh like you know it, it just didn't make it so obvious and everything just flowed naturally And when the scenes got more dramatic like there was more ink it, i thought it was really well done i enjoyed it and i noticed it from the beginning yeah i noticed like heavier shadows on like the white people that were sinister like you see like under their like their cheeks and under like like certain parts of their noses like they have like heavier shadows in order to like indicate something sinister is going on something crazy is going on i thought that was really really well done yeah, yeah. like the scene with uh zane's friend when the 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 kkk i keep calling him the wizard i don't even think he's a wizard but like <laughs> but the kkk wizard like the one-eyed guy basically like is calling him out and being like i know you're a black person like that whole scene the way it's drawn is yeah. so intense mm -hmm. and it actually made me really uncomfortable because i was like oh my god no like he got caught yeah. but like <laughs> so i mean but just like by the way that he drew it and inked it i was like i've got the feelings i felt the emotions that I, that was intended for that scene Absolutely. And I think that one of the cool things about and how the art plays into the idea of racial passing and how race is kind of a very sort of slippery thing is if you if you hadn't read the whole book and you just looked at one of the random pages where Zane is interacting with white characters, you wouldn't necessarily know that he was a black man. Yep. And I think that <laughs> yeah, that point. is a really clever kind of meta thing that's done. And it also speaks to what Jim Crow and what these laws that were made after the reconstruction were kind of trying to do right because it's a basically the fact that these laws exist 
acknowledge in like the one drop rule right it, it acknowledges the fact that on a aesthetic on a phenotype level right like just looking around at a group of people sometimes you might know if someone's black but we have all of these people who have you know you were speaking of into about we mentioned walter white earlier who was in the NAACP and looked like a white man and would infiltrate the kkk but we have other examples of people who by all appearances looked white but we're able to pass, but we're black people. And like th- these laws, the one drop rule, we're all made to sort of govern and mitigate the fact that on a like objective level, we can't really tell what people are, what people's race is all the time, right? Right. To go off what you were saying with that point is, I had a friend that was basically talking about this experiment the teacher did in class once where he, he said, we're going to go around and you guys are all going to say your name and you're going to say what your race is and no one got it right. Like there were some people that they thought like these um, women were white and they're like, no, I'm actually Hispanic. Or there was like a like maybe of someone who looked more like ethnic than someone else. And they're just, like, it, it just, it was interesting to me like that they went through all this and it's just like, you just can't tell. So like, I don't know when, when you, as soon as you said that, I was kind of like, oh yeah, <laughs> I thought of that experiment. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I think having this conversation we can't avoid talking about the recent current events with uh rachel dolezal right word so <laughs> i mean there there we can have ample examples of people that are like oh they're black like wentworth miller the actor thank you thank you he's black right vin diesel can kind of look right. a little white um he's mariah, white carey. Person before. mariah carey mariah exactly mariah carey's black but we don't get many <laughs> instances of like oh wait you're not black you're white because like you said, the one drop rule always kind of rules that if you look this way, you will be treated this way. So mm-hmm. I think that's a weird way to flip it. And I think the the outrage that, that surrounded it is a really clear example of kind of the racial, like the the reverberations of the racial Jim Crow rules that were set in place. And that's just so funny to me because it's like you can't like. She was saying, "I Rachel's like I can identify as a black woman." It's like, no, you can't. Like, you may feel something so passionately, but you can't identify. Like, just like forgive me if I have this actor's name. I I don't think it's Tyrese, but basically, one of the black actors, his wife is white, had a kid, and he said basically, um, "Tay Diggs. Diggs." Thank you, thank you. <laughs> I can remember that if you call him black, you're disrespecting his white side, and it's just like I don't understand how that's disrespect. It's just something that he is. I get it, but it's like people are probably gonna see him and be like, "That's a black man. He doesn't actually." have the ability like we're not at that place in society where we can just like respect that like if he wants to identify as as white cool i can't say anything about that i'm not biracial that's that's his like prerogative but he has to realize also too like that's his son absolutely and i think part of the anger with and sort of just frustration and confusion and the hilarity of rachel doljal is just the idea of someone who is in a privileged position because of her race taking on the identity of someone of like a culture or whatever uh, whatever we want to call blackness as like a cultural category right like how can you take on this culture when you haven't been able like how can you take on this culture when you haven't had to endure the sort of the cons of being a black person slash you know the fact that if she wanted to the next day she could wash off off the tan she could do something you know do something right. else with her hair right. and then she's back in the position of power not having to worry about all of the things that as black women we have to worry about and also, the fact that if one of us decided we wanted to identify as white, we would be laughed out. Like, we could bleach our skin. We could, I mean, just think about how Michael Jackson was treated and, like, the amount. Not to say it now, I'm not saying that Michael Jackson was trying to become white, but whatever was going on with him, it, he was such a point of fascination and, like, disgust because he was, his appearance changed in a way that 
was consonant with the idea that maybe he was trying to become white and people went nuts about it and wasn't also like a skin condition yeah no I'm, yeah. I'm i'm absolutely like full disclosure i am no, not saying that no 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 i would no just like i vitiligo out later in life yeah, right, that right, it was right. actually a skin condition but and, it I, and I, th- I mean way. i mean if it's you think my about biggest that- fear to have that condition <laughs> i'm not gonna lie i get so I'm scared of well it, it wasn't just the condition though right i mean uh, obviously we can we can speculate on what he wanted but he right. did get plastic surgery yeah, he straightened his, his nose yeah. he got long long straight hair so it's, it's it's more than just you know skin color like you know right i do believe in that too but then i also feel like he there he said so much stuff that just showed pro blackness oh so of course yeah. Yeah. Very, but like i but i think it's interesting that like because i'm like a little bit of a hermit and sometimes i find out things super late but like when i found out that it wasn't him trying to be white it's just like society can make me believe that this man was trying to be white for all this time and it's like no he had a legitimate skin condition so think about the like hundreds of other people that still don't know that and now he's being played, played by, by one by of the fines movie. brothers in a movie right. but anyway we don't get all that we should move on and <laughs> as you living under a rock i'm sorry no no, no. i didn't oh. know it was the fine yeah, 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 yeah. Not yeah. the Fine Brothers from YouTube, like no, Ray, Ray Fines. Oh, oh! <laughs> like Joseph and Ray Fines, yeah, the actors, the English actors. That's like, what I thought. Oh. I was like, it's, no. it's like Voldemort's like younger brother is playing him. The guy yeah. who played Shakespeare in yeah. Shakespeare in Love. Right. But if I'm honest, if one of the Fine Bros was playing Michael Jackson, I would be there for that because that would be the <laughs> sign of the apocalypse. <laughs> Moving on, though. So. The book doesn't only deal with the concept of racial passing, right? Because we have at the core of the crime mystery, uh, the shadowy figure of Frances Jefferson White, the young woman who passes as a man in order to move through society in the way that she wants and be able to to do the job of being a deputy. And so what do you guys think about the plotline of Frances Jefferson White and how her character's gender performance plays into the larger themes of passing within the book? I actually think there's a lot to unpack with her character. I think that, for one, this list, list basically goes back into the whole point I was making before, that the real people in society that have the power of straight white men. That's usually what it is. And then also on top of that, you have to also unpack that, like, she has to also assimilate to be a white man in order to be taken seriously, seriously or respected or any, any sort of way like that. But also on top of that, like, there was another delineation. There's another ver- There's another way that there was like someone being ostracized. Like when it came to Francis, she had to dress as a man, so it couldn't be it couldn't be categorized. It couldn't be defined. So it automatically turned into a thing of it being like, oh, whoa, she is weird. She's some sort of freak. She's some something something weird. So that's of course it could be considered as the early makings of like transphobia. So I think that that's really really interesting. Like that whole concept of it all, and also like it also like turned into a thing about like I think. I can't speak on it that hard because I'm a man, but I can say I think that also like uh, the women policing other women by her being like this bitch could have did this. Then it's like it's like she was like so adamantly. <laughs> she was like she, Michaela like really like was not feeling the idea of this woman like coming up on her and like she killed her and was just, like fine with it. Like there was no there was nothing like all right shit I, I actually lost one of my own. She's a woman like she's my sister like we have to go through this shit together. Like no it was like this bitch rolled on me like she had to die like that's it like <laughs> so I mean to me like it was like this whole there was a lot going on with it like and these characters weren't even in the story that much but i think there's a lot going on with these characters well just to address that point i don't think she was like oh this this girl's really like a boy i have no problem killing her because she's one i think it was just like because what she was doing up in the woods she was doing something illegal so it was like if anyone rose up on me black white man woman they're getting dropped and they they did <laughs> right so but i i do think when she did find out it was a woman she a white woman to be right. specific she used that to her advantage right. right so she she defiled the body and she kind of passed it off as her own which is something that she was able to do considering her position as a, as a white person. She a white straight woman. up defiled her. 
No. Yeah. Oh, yeah, is that the wrong? Her. Is that the wrong word I use? Well, I mean, I de- use mutilate. deform, mutilate, deform, yeah, or mutilate. I mean, she probably did defile. Mutilate. Too. Defile. I, I, I think I I I associate the word defile exclusively with, with necrophilia. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I associate. <laughs> Don't wow. apologize. That wow. is that is just wow. me. That That's is really, really just extreme. me. Like I, that. The turns in this, my neck hurts. Like the turns <laughs> in this podcast right now are crazy. Okay. Sorry, sorry. Um, I think I have two things. One of them is that there was something about the female characters in in the comic that I was just like, these all, all each of these women like deviate from the norm, like the 1930s norm. There was like something about like the sheriff's wife had a peg leg, mm. and Michaela is like a psycho and like literally most of the time we saw her with just a jacket on no shirt <laughs> yeah right <laughs> no bra no um, you know she wasn't she wasn't this like oh, moral shit. she wasn't this moral character sexually intellectually what have you and then there was Francis who, Jefferson yes right? Fra- Francis who you know was dressed up as a man for whatever reason we have no we actually have no idea like if is it because she wanted to be a deputy or is it because she wanted a new life or was it because she felt more comfortable no i My think you, well, no no I, I think you bring up a really good point like that that we we don't we don't really know why but we know that sh- there was something that she wanted that she couldn't get as okay. a woman yeah and okay. that's the important part okay i know we're talking about francis but something about Michaela, because we were just talking about how she, you know, was afraid of people creeping up on her in general. I think there was a big point. I, I felt I read in a lot to the fact that I think the idea of men creeping up on her really scared her because at first when Zane creeped up on her, she was like, do what you want to do to me because she thought that he was going to do something to her, you know, sexually. And then I assumed that when Francis had creeped up on her, she didn't know that Francis was a female. So I assumed that she thought that more than just I don't know, there was something about it that I felt like she was afraid as a female. That's such a great there's, point. That's yeah, such a fantastic point. That's, what I, th- that's how I read into it. Absolutely. And there's so much mention to her being like sexually promiscuous and and just you know i don't i think it's zane's best friend who when he's having when he's playing cards gets some info about her and says you know she's had sex with half the county and and you know stolen from half the county and and i'm glad you brought up that point because maybe that wasn't consensual you know like maybe she she's not just a really sexually liberated woman in a time that is not accepting of that maybe she would you know the, the way she reacts to zane approaching her makes it seem like this is not the first time that that's happened to her or maybe that's where her fear stemmed from because even when you think of sex workers now a big thing is that you know their their job is sex work but also there's this fear of being Mm -hmm. raped and so i assume that when francis creeped up on her she was more than scared of um you know being found out about her distillery or what have you she was also afraid that this man quote unquote was going to rape her just as she was afraid when zane showed up and zane she thought zane might rape her this this actually ties into like that that's such a wonderful point to make a quick point but that also ties into like how even at that time we were we were living in a world that like institutionalized sexism was a thing like you know, like to say, like, like for instance, like we we've been talking about like how white people, like and white men especially, have like this higher position of power and have this privilege. But even me being a black man, like I have a level of privilege too. I do because I'm a man. Like I have a I have privilege in a lot of things. So when it comes to that, like Zane walking up on her, who is a black man, she still has to like be on defense. She still has to understand like this is a man that could think to himself like unconsciously that he deserves me and deserves my body and deserves the way that he could treat me. And it's, it's, it's like so heavy. It's like, you know, like I always, like me and my girlfriend always talk about it. My girlfriend has this theory that she believes that sexism is older than racism. And I think that that's a really fascinating point. I think, I think it's true. I think it, I think it's very, very true. 
So we've kind of touched on this in our previous segment about the notion of gender in the book, because here at Comics First, I'm going to hazard talking, speaking for a group of people I have no business speaking for, but we believe in intersectionality here at Comics First. So we can't have a a conversation about race without talking about gender, which we've already really gone into depth with. And so we were talking about this notion of, you know, of Michaela, and you were saying something about sexism being older than racism. But I I had another question about gender and incognito. And what did we what did we think well we have we've touched on this a little bit but maybe we could just go into some more depth what do we think about the portrayal of women in the book generally Binzu touched on this definitely she said she definitely said you know all the women in the book are kind of offbeat in some way like they're definitely not the general the you know the average woman at, at that time and i think that's a very interesting point i definitely agree with it and i also think that to go um on the other side of that argument i think the way that the women are treated is definitely not offbeat for that time. I think it's definitely what you would expect in 1930s, especially down south. You know, like she was afraid of being raped. She was in the middle of the woods. She had no, you know, way of getting protecting herself or, or whatever. And she had no shirt on. She had no right. She was half naked. And you look at the way women are kind of I don't want to say brutalized because I, I think that dramatizes it a bit. But I think, you know, there's definitely some violence toward women. And I, I don't want to like I said, speak on it as because I'm not a woman, but I think that it definitely did fit with it. I didn't mind it because I, th- I think it definitely fit with the context that was set, you know, during that time. Uh, one character that we didn't mention was in the beginning of the story. We have uh, Zane's lady. She, I forget her name, and that's terrible. That just goes to show about like how like women. I'm not like, sure if she's named. If she's named. Okay, all right, but like and then also like when like who is like a re- like res- like obviously like in, in his way he be- he like respects her, but he respects her in a way that he still thinks that like like as like a gender role she she shouldn't like she should hear like in, in like a in like a very like like a gender roley way that she like she's not able to handle what he can tell her about all of the negative and terrible shit he sees so like he's like oh you're too like i don't want to worry your little precious ears and tell you about what's going on with you know and i think that's really fascinating you know and then wasn't yeah. there a line where they he was saying like you have to get a job or get a real job otherwise she's not gonna stay or something yeah. like that like absolutely also just not to step on your toes but i believe that it was his best friend's lady okay okay but gotcha. just to cool. just to clarify but i think your point is so so brilliant because it shows how even we, we have this really progressive character in so many ways mm-hmm. but he has internalized a certain notion of sexism and it's really interesting because his best friend who is with this lady that you're talking about mm-hmm. he he, I, I didn't realize this until just now, but he's always talking about, like, when they're in the town and he's sort of, everyone's obsessed with him because they think he's a British lord. He's like, oh, I might have sex with a white lady tonight. Do you guys remember that part? Yeah. And he's engaged. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's and he's engaged. engaged. That's a good point. And wow. so, I mean, obviously, men cheat. That it, that's, Some. that's something that occurs. Some, Some men cheat. But just this notion that he is, you know, in the South, he gets a chance to sleep with a white lady and he's like, oh, like, let me take this. It's just it, it shows us it shows, the, you know, the patriarchal nature of the society. And mm-hmm. even among the oppressed, there's a there's a strata. You know. Out of all places to have sex with a white lady, 1930s Word. deep south. Yeah. Uh, man, oh man. That's like well, having sex in the middle of a fire. Right. It's well, <laughs> crazy. It, it is. Up. That's really, but that's really the appeal nuts. of it, right? That's yeah. that, that's why I, I don't think he was like, well, white ladies are prettier. I'd love to have. I'd love to. Have, I think it was more Good that point. like I get to like stick it to them. Like I, I get to enjoy what they don't want me to. You know, it's kind of that. Yeah. You know, doing what you don't want me to and succeeding in a way that you don't want me to see me. You know, you don't want to see me. Succeed. You know, that, that's a that's a fascinating point. But also to like kind of like to like loose like base this off of like the whole notion of like how like sexism is so like 
so like rampant and it like even seeps into like areas in which like black men are like even oppressed and they still oppress women especially when it comes to like black women it's like you have like and then like i've heard a lot of theories about like how like because like black men are so like disenfranchised they like disenfranchise black women because like like black women like they have a chance to of course like put black and women in a position that they can control them and that's one of the few things in society they can control which is like a terrible notion which is a terrible theory but not all black men of course but there's like this, there's a lot of theories going on about that. But I think that like, if like, it, it, like if, if it was, what's his, with uh, Zane's boy's name, Carl, is it? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think if Carl like got to a point that he can like have sex with a white woman, I'm not, ju- not justifying it, but I think that in his mind, he's like, that is like a, a level of success there. I can actually, I can actually have sex with a woman and fulfill my needs as like a, you know, a patriarchal need and for my need as like a, as a class and race need. I have done something I've transcended. He's also like a con man. So Word. like what greater prize ticket, you know, have you reward. Good point. Prize. Yeah. A woman of the prize. <laughs> and so to continue on the path of talking about the women in Incognito, were any of you guys shocked about the lack of black women? Because we talked about Carl's girlfriend at the top of the novel, but then we don't really see any other black women, right? And throughout the novel. I think that's definitely a great point to bring up. Mm-hmm. But I, I also think that because of the double oppressed that black women go through, I think bringing a black woman into a story, especially a story like this where you deal directly with those issues, that brings a whole other angle that you have to. You can't just have a black lady in there and be like, "Oh, hey, oh, I, you know, I, I, I'm a woman and I'm black." You have to unpack those issues. You have to address them in a way that's tasteful, like the way we address racism. And that's why that that's why it's like a black man and it's Francis who's um, a white woman passing. Because if it was a black woman passing, that'd be a whole other thing yeah. to deal yeah. with. Yeah, but, but there's there's one thing that we did. There is a black woman in it. I, I just remembered. There's a, there's, when Pinchy tells uh, Zane to go check out the stuff at the the moonshine, he's like walk past the black woman that's like sitting there. She's like lost. She's like she's tortured. Touched. She's like yeah. touched. Yeah, yeah, she's tortured. So right there, it I'm shows sad. that we have a black old, woman yeah. that's old, that's been haggard, that's tired, that's gone through some shit. You know. So I, I think it's a good point. That, no, that is such a good point because he says like you know when he's reading the directions that his brother gave, which are hilarious. And if you're from the south, like that mm-hmm. is how everyone gives directions. <laughs> like turn right at the tree and walk through. <laughs> steps and your knee will start to creak and blah 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 <laughs> that's when you know what to turn yeah and, and, and he writes in his instructions don't even come near her because she's touched right and no one even fishes in this area and she's selling minnows and that's such a mm-hmm. i had totally yeah. forgotten about, about her. her and it's yeah. ironic that mm-hmm. you that we'd forget about her mm-hmm. i also think the fact that you just asked about black women in this comic mind me if i'm being because i'm i don't know how to articulate myself as well in what i'm trying to say but I don't think there was a reason to have black woman within the majority of this comic because he's in the deep south. If a black woman was the one who was killed, that wouldn't be big news. That wouldn't be any cause. Any news at all. Yeah. Yeah. It wouldn't be any cause for somebody really to go to jail, somebody to be hung, what have you. You know, part of the comic when he's in the south is going over to the Jefferson Whites. They're, They're like, it's known for a place where there are white mountain people. So like, you know, other than the woman and then the the only time we see a black woman in this in the deep south is this old woman who's touched who is you know out of her head so i feel like that's very harsh to say that there's no reason for it but like i don't know what significance that would have within the tale that we are hearing about a guy passing and going to defend his brother who's in jail who's in risk of being lynched i think that connects with you like you your point and javel's point really makes sense because it's just kind of like that's a whole different story one and then I think we were focusing more on a male's perspective of 
a simulation blending in so we can't really include a black woman yet and the fact that like his girlfriend or his best friend's girlfriend wasn't even that important a woman's point of view anyway a black woman's point of view like obviously it's not really to be approached in the story like that wasn't the point so even though i think it could have been approached it could have been important they just didn't do it for this tale so i mean i i understand where you're coming from yeah yeah, I mean, it just didn't serve the story. I think that's the, the, the bottom line. It, didn't, it, it, would, it wouldn't have made sense in this context. So there's a lot of violence in Incognito. It's part, it's essential to presenting this time of, of American history accurately. But I was kind of struck by the instances of violence against women in the book. What did you guys think about that? That was probably like some of my favorite stuff to unpack. I mean, everything else was like, of course, like very rich. But I think that like, for instance, like when, uh, what was my man's name? Like Josiah, what's my homeboy's name? That was like riding him around in the carriage. Yeah, it was like, so like when he, like when Zane hits that white woman that has the rifle and he's like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. He's, he's, he's first, he's like, he's remorseful. He's remorseful. He's like, oh shit. Like, I did not mean to hit you. Whoa. Like I had to do this and there's no time. His boy is like, yo, like, I can't believe you ran up on her. And he's like, yeah, I know. I didn't mean to hit a woman, but he's like, no, I mean like you ran up on her with like a fully loaded shotgun, bro like you're bug like it was like it was a thing like and then he like touched on about how like oh she's we're, you know you never I guess you've never been married so what <laughs> what that <laughs> what that like kind of like infers is like yeah I whip my wife's ass and it's normal like it's, it's like a normal thing like like domestic abuse is just so normal about with women it's like oh like you haven't been in a situation to know but when you get in the situation you're gonna be whipping your wife's ass all the time I, t- I feel like I took that that's how I moment it. differently mm-hmm. I assumed that it was Zane who had said, oh, because she's a woman, she wouldn't have killed me. And so oh, yeah. the the driver guy was like, oh, you've never been married because if you've been married, she would have whooped your ass. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. To just that point and, and the more general violence in the story, I actually thought the violence could have been much much, not necessarily more graphic, but just more frequent. Um, I was actually kind of taken aback by how dialed back the story. I, was, I mean, to me, set in the South, being a black person you can die any second and that's you know it's like a war zone almost and so you know when the story kicked off it kicked off with a great scene at a lynching and i kind of expected to see more not that i wanted to but i expected to see more you know lynchings more acts of violence toward black people obviously they didn't know they were black and in regards to the women like i, I said earlier i didn't mind it obviously <laughs> not for me to mind but i thought it fit the time and i thought it made sense I, I didn't think it was something i mean coming from our our current context and our progressive mindset it's easy to be like yeah you know he, he should have had the woman so whatever but it fit the story at that time but it was it's like it's the same notion of like you know overt racism as opposed to other like subvert racism because it's like it's like white, white people do that like oh yeah like they can that's why they, they're cool at watching like 12 years of slave they're like all right yo like like that dude is like dumb racist like he's mad racist so like i could never be like that i could never be that racist it's the same shit with men like we watch shit like that violence and was it, like how they killed michaela and like both of them were like there was no remorse like everybody including carl was like oh okay move well on. let's yeah. move on with life it's that type of shit it's like it's so like normalized like nobody gives a f- <laughs> about like how women are like treated it's unfortunate it's so horrible it's so horrible so it's like you know like when you have men like it's the same thing with racism it's like you have like white people that can watch 12 years of slave and be like well that's because it's like so brash and it's so crazy like that's evil but then like we'll say racist shit like oh like mike brown put himself in that position you know like we'll say racist shit like that because it's so normalized you know it's the same thing with like women's violence it's so 
fucking normalized. We don't even realize that realize it. Like we see it all the time. To the point where Zayn's brother, who said that Michaela was the love of his life, right. when she's getting beaten up, says, "No one hits my woman except me." Oh, such a good mm-hmm. point. Oh, yes, that, such a good point. That harkens to that yes. domestic violence thing. And so, and 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 I think like when I when I wrote this question, I was thinking, wow, this violence against women is crazy. Like I kind of ju- not judged, but I was kind of I don't know. I felt a little bit of shade, like light shade, towards the violence against women in the book because I thought, like, why does there have to be this senseless violence against women? But really, it's I think what we're pointing to is that this is a function of the times that they, that there was this senseless violence against right. women, and this is and this is the reality of that period in American history and in that particular region. That as a woman, you know. You you have to constantly face threat to your physical being like at all right, times right. from right. men and that is accepted and you know and who in there's no form of recourse for you to go and say hey i'm being abused in this way you just kind of have to accept it right i f- exactly to what you're saying but even further the fact that cuz i had Again, I was scared. I the way I had read Michaela killing Francis was this idea that she thought she he was a, she was a man who was going to rape her. So then the killing of Francis was justified in a way because there was no other recourse that Michaela could have taken. I I in my head I'm thinking to to just if, if Michaela is considered a prostitute, mm-hmm. also we later on realize that she's like a psycho kind of and so Nobody would have believed her if that was right. a deputy who went went to come and rape her, you know. Word. And so she killed. And then when they and go and kill her, the fact that we find out later that she was the one kill who killed Francis, and you know she was going to let her boyfriend fry for the murder. It's so interesting because then you start to feel a little bit like them killing her kind of made sense too. I found in terms of the storytelling, I found that really interesting. All of hmm. that, but also, and this is something that you're pointing to Bintu that's really interesting if you think about it Michaela and Francis are kind of like dark mirrors of each other Mm -hmm. because they're because like you said before all of the women that we see that get screen time per se in the book are operating outside of the traditional role of femininity in their culture and Michaela even though she doesn't take on the appearance and do sort of this gender play of trying to pretend to be a man she is not a woman who is married she's not she's dating a you know she's sleeping with an in and a business partners with a black man and as much as she is portrayed as kind of this crazy heartless person at the same time what other choices right. does she have yeah if she when she was sitting there she was drunk making her moonshine right. at her still some person came up who she didn't know she's doing something illegal you said she doesn't know if this person is a man or a woman she then defends herself realizes that the person is a woman thinks remember what she says like i can get rid of my debts i can get rid of all these people who are out to get me mm-hmm. whether or not that's her fault i don't know but maybe she's just a woman who's living outside right. of yeah. what women are supposed to do and that's made people angry yeah so she does that her boyfriend is in trouble when zane originally confronts her about confessing what truly happened she says don't you realize that even if i confess what happened nothing will change and so as much as as much as she's depicted as a villain or a, an antagonist, as a woman, her position is very complex. And even though she acts in a way that I think most of us would say were, was is morally reprehensible, we can find a thread of logic for why she has to resort to these acts of violence and resort to this antisocial behavior. And just to go point. a bit further with this historical context that this story is working in, like I'm, I'm pretty sure prohibition had happened. That's, wh- that's why this was such an issue, you know, of them making 
drinking their own whiskey and their own moonshine. It's that this black man and this woman, you know, have no business even being in this business in the first place. No matter who you were, you weren't supposed to be doing this. So, you know, it's like them doing this illegal thing, them being the wrong people to be doing this illegal thing, right? And even when we talk about Mikhail's femininity, the temperance movement who brought about prohibition would all by women. It was mm-hmm. it was like singularly a, a woman's movement. It went with the woman's rights, you know, woman getting the right to vote, whole type whole thing. I think it actually came into law at the same time. And so the fact that she is the one making, you know, making the alcohol or what have you, it's just like the target on her back is huge. And dating this black guy didn't make it any better at all. I, I just find like the, 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 I'm starting to realize the complexity of yeah, this character so and complex, I'm yeah. so into it. Me too. I think she's super, super complex. I just think like and it's and it's honestly too the another layer I think can add to is her being just white. Like she's white. Like and she has to go through all of this shit. Like a woman. Like that's, that's my point is that like it harks back to what I was saying about like it's straight white men that really have the power in this country. Like they really are the ones that like can engineer shit and figure shit out and everything's working for them. It's like this white woman has to like go through all this crazy hoops and bounds and intricate shit in order to just make a living. Because most likely the reason why she has to do illegal shit is because she can't get a phone. <laughs> job she can't get a job that's actually going to like value her skills or harness her skills or if she does get that job she's going to be sexually harassed she could be in all these different situations so it's it's really hard and also the jobs that were open to women at that time i mean i i'm not really familiar with the 1930s but she seems like the type of woman who is is operating on the fringes because she doesn't want to go the conventional route that's available to women. Well, that goes back to the Francis White character, right? She was like, she she wasn't like a, a town whore or bootlegger. She was just a white girl and a family who just wanted something more for herself. Specifically, she wanted, I guess she wanted to be a deputy. She wanted to be in law enforcement. So that's all she wanted. And then you look through the hoops she had to go through. She had to dress up as a man and pretend to be a man just to get the profession she wanted. So I think that's a, a great point that has more to do with, you know, So we've talked about this before, but the book takes a lot of structural and tonal cues from film noir, the genre of film noir. And, you know, as much as this is a story about race and this often ignored period of American history, this is also like a really thrilling, exciting crime drama. And so I was wondering, like, did you think that the the, the t- detective story aspect was a compelling way to tell this story? And I know I was like, I was really on the edge of my seat, like reading this, trying to figure out what would happen. Were you engaged throughout? I have to say it was such a tasty surprise when I found out that Francis was the girl who died. What a twist. I love, I literally, I outlined, I was like, oh, <laughs> I was in love with it. However, I do have to say when they got to the point where we find, when Zane thought that the sheriff had killed Francis, I was like, I don't know where you got that from. But when they, when we find out Michaela did it, I was like, word. Yeah. There was something about, I, I enjoyed that, Twist. that storytelling detective aspect. Swerve. Agreed. Yeah. I, I love um, as a as a film student, I love those kind of murder mysteries, especially noir. And I think uh, noir stories are best when they're kind of set in times that are apart from you. Like you look at something like um, one of my favorite noirs is Blade Runner, right? It's a science fiction. And it's like set in the future. It's kind of about these androids blending in as people. It kind of has the same narrative of passing, you know. And look at something like this, which takes place however many years in the past. It kind of being able to separate yourself, I think, from the story that's happening and where you are, I think, is adds a lot to the entertainment value of noirs. I just, yeah, no, the twists are just so fun and like really just keep you guessing and keep this from being sort of like a didactic tale of like, 
be on the right side of history like it's more than that it's a, it's about a guy who's trying to achieve this goal and like you really feel that the clock is ticking for him because i th- what about what did you guys think about those scenes where he's visiting with his brother in the jail and the sheriff is like i can only keep him at bay for so long and you're just sitting there like your gut is wrenched because the stakes are impossibly high well i mean another movie genre you can compare it to is a horror movie right like that's <laughs> like, as, like as a black person reading that you're just terrified that this was this was a real thing like people really actually experienced that which makes things even more scarier i, I was actually going to say something totally different it, it was more so about like uh, one of the themes i i thought was really interesting in in the book oh well, i thought didn't really la- relate itself to like the noir but i think it related itself to like the conflict there was a portion of it when when zane gets like uh he's caught up and he's like in the um cage one thing i thought was really great was like the, the art when the uh, little boy was like poking him with a stick i thought that was really really great i thought that was like great symbolism but also like what uh like the house with like uh francis's dad or whatever was saying i thought it was interesting he was saying about how like oh the the niggers are gonna rise up like he was (laughs) i thought it was interesting that he was saying that like either like black people are gonna rise up or this is gonna be like a war like with a lot of like black people like like white people in their mindsets like like that to me i think is also resonate resonates till now is that like in order for change to happen like they have to lose power so that's like an interesting concept that they're afraid of and subconsciously they're afraid of that they don't really get so I think that like the whole idea of like, oh, they're going to rise up. They're going to come after us. They're going to kill us. They're going to chop our heads off. It's like that kind of like narrative. I thought was really fascinating that he like slipped in really, really quickly. I thought that was really cool for the conflict. Or, or they could just like not think that there's a war being fought that doesn't exist. <laughs> That's honestly what I feel like. When I, re- when I read that scene specifically, I was just like, I, whenever I've seen it in present day, like that, like it's a, it's a race war. There is no war. No, a war involves two parties. We're not fighting. Like we've never been asking for that. So like, that's what I thought of when I saw that. So going along this line of the detective story, we talked about Zane having the superpower. You know, if if we're going to think of Zane as a superhero, we can think of one of his superpowers is his ability to transform and, and to pass as a white man. But also like Tariq, you were talking about this earlier with Zane's role as an investigative journalist, which is somewhere between, you know, uh, like like you said, it's a detective without a gun. And I think he really does. Matt Johnson includes a lot of the tropes of the traditional detective in Zane's character. And could, could we say that maybe... One of Zane's superpowers, if he, if we're thinking of him in kind of a super superhero way, is his ability to be an amazing detective. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like he has to write the story. He has to kind of recount the events of you know what happened. He has to write that story. Um. Also, when he when he's there, he's kind of like almost like a secret agent. So he kind of has to be really smart. And like detectives are smart, they put themselves in danger. And he's in like he's he's in the war zone, right? So he has to kind of survive. And I think that I could definitely say that it's one of his superpowers being able to survive in this time in this culture. You know, when we're also talking about Zane and his superpower and him being incognito, something I w- found really interesting was thinking of his friend Carl. I actually, it, I think Carl might have been my favorite character next to Michaela, but Carl succeeded in assimilating and then didn't and then did because he was able to convince people for a little while that he was this British lord right and then got found out but that that KKK um, master or wizard or whoever he was convinced everybody that not convinced everybody but but thought to himself that this guy was incognito. So the fact that incognito is not just a singular person, but can transverse many people, whoever can fill that it's role. Right. But, and it wasn't until, mm. and he's, 
Carl had said that, oh, I'm not the guy. I'm not the guy. But he's a ride or die bitch. And he said, and then I, he, right. at one point he was like, I am incognito because he understood that his his friend, you know, was a good guy. His friend was doing wonderful things, what have you. you. You know, he was just a general loyal ride or die bitch. And he died for for his friend. But with the understanding that he was incognito. I found I just found that very interesting that the superpower, quote unquote, could transverse more than one person. Yeah, but yeah. It, but at the same time, Carl could assimilate, but couldn't because he couldn't completely he couldn't completely be a white American. You know, yeah, what I mean, exactly, because yeah. he chose to be a British man, right? At first, he chose to be a Southern guy, and his friend says that th- that's not working for you. And then he chose to be a British guy. It's it, he. It wasn't easy being. It wasn't easy for him to assimilate like it was for Zane. Yeah, I mean, going back to that superhero comparison, Incognito being a mantle that he can t- like at, when at the train station, he's like, "I want to do what you do." Right? Like, it's like you know, like you look at Batman. It's like I don't be Batman. It's like you can't be a Batman. You don't have what it takes, but you can be Robin, right? Mm-hmm. And so he's like, "Well, I I can't be Incognito, so I'll be this British lord. I'll pretend to buy all this lands. I'll do whatever I can to survive the way you do." But you know, like we see, it doesn't really work out as well for him. But I, I think that like what it really helped Zane. It was like Zane is an investigative reporter, so like he's able to like as you said before, like he can like collect all of these different like right. notions and facets of like being a white American and like be able to like utilize that and like internalize it and use it for his own good. So it's like when it comes to like poor Carl, like he he didn't have that type of like foresight and that type of like like understanding and awareness. So that's that's the poor thing about that. Absolutely, guy. because I think if we think about you know Zane having this very distinct ability to be able to move through white society relatively undetected, the reason he's able to do that is because he's able to to walk the walk so to speak but he also has this amazing foundation of knowledge of what to say in every situation in order to make the white people he's interacting with feel at ease you know when he meets the guys on the train he says the kkk lingo and when they hear that they're like oh he's one of us when he's in the town he's a i mean well when they go to shuttle pass i think what it's called he's not super successful but we we can see him trying to finesse in his mind okay how do i say how am i the right white white person so that these people accept me right. and see past what is the truth or when he's dealing with the people in Tupelo Tupelo oh god we we wow. have Tupelo Mississippi that sorry that I was I love that I love that keep doing right. that again well, rewind <laughs> um, when he's dealing with the inhabitants of the town in Mississippi he knows the exact thing to say to them to appear to be to be accepted so it's like as a detective his tools are his looks but also his ability to understand the culture and to yeah um i I think that's a great point i think that kind of goes back to him being a journalist and an investigative reporter he kind of has to live this culture but he also has to be on the outside and looking and observing and when you observe you learn a lot and you learn the right moves to make you know like he's he's kind of the black batman (laughs) that's his own skill set i mean detective comics (laughs) detective comics exactly that's his own skill set as it is to like be able to observe properly and be able to understand like what parts of it to pick out and what parts to actually leave as byproduct. So it's, it's, it's interesting because also he has to like understand like what he can get away with. Like, you know, like knowing that he's like a black dude. So like he doesn't like his diction's going to be different, you know, so he's going to have to be able to understand like in what ways he could speak certain things for it to stand out correctly. So he, he like it's it's like in and also he has to carry himself a certain way he has to walk a certain way. He has to have like this level of of like utmost confidence of being like a white dude. Yeah, <laughs> like that, So it's, it's hard. That speech he gives himself in the mirror and he's like fixing that's him putting on his work, costume. Work. Right? Like that's him getting ready to go to bed, like him mentally preparing to, like you said, do all those amazing things 
We've covered a lot of heavy topics in our discussion of Incognito, but the discussion, I think, of this book wouldn't be complete without exploring the use of humor in the novel, because amidst the lynchings, murders, systematic racism, sexism, people being shot in the face, peg legs, all of this, you know, sort of dire stuff a real comedy th- there are many <laughs> genuinely hilarious moments and i have to admit i i like i was reading the comic and i kept on just breaking out into laughter and my boyfriend was like aren't you reading a comic about lynchings and i was like it is about lynchings but it's about so much more <laughs> so i so like so i just wonder like did you guys laugh when you were reading this and did you see the humor in a lot of the situations i absolutely was definitely laughing and not to name drop again but um i did meet the, the writer matt johnson a while back and he's a very funny guy and and you see that in his dialogue is very snappy and, the, and that, you, that comes out in a lot of his other prose as well so going into it i, I kind of knew but it was still and you gotta keep it light when you're talking about like especially if it's a story with these two characters that are are, are pretty ridiculous if you really think about it you kind of have to keep it light on a, in a certain way to kind of keep that balance between all the harsh uh darkness i think also too when it comes to like being a person of color and like understanding your position of like oppression in society in a lot of different ways like you have to be able to in order to like resonate and deal with the trauma uh comedy has always been an effective tool just like music for people of color that is so like <laughs> there's like certain parts like wait like when Josiah and like Zane got out the cage and the dude was like not to fit like not to fit like he, he's like yeah and then they, like whipped his ass I thought that was funny like I laughed at that I thought that was great but it was like it's funny it's funny in a way it's like oh like in a Django kind of way like all right you know that, that happened and it's funny but like you understand <laughs> that like the reality is like this is like one of the few instances that we get a chance to like even be portrayed in that light so it is funny you have to laugh at it you just kind of feel compelled to so it's interesting absolutely and going along with that i was wondering if you guys could list some of your favorite humorous moments from the book because speaking of that moment that you're talking about with josiah and zane when they were in the chicken cages in the jefferson white compound if you want to call it that when zane was trying to outsmart the dumb brother of the patriarch of the jefferson whites and he was saying you know like oh please don't leave us next to each other uh you know the high yellow people hate the dark people and then the the jefferson white guy talks to josiah and he's like do you want to beat up this yellow (laughs) guy and he's like i think i do (laughs) and i just thought that was so hilarious and then obviously you know they're just playing him and end up and end up just you know messing him up but i that, that was one of my favorite moments i absolutely back to my girl Michaela when mm-hmm. she's telling her story about how she found Francis and she was like yeah I was taking care of some business I was going to take a smoke and then you see the flashback and she's actually going to take a shit <laughs> while she's wearing no shirt and she's about to take a shit in the woods and I was like this is this is my bitch <laughs> I thought it was so funny I had to read it I had to there was a moment where I had to read it over because I was like it doesn't look like she's about to take a smoke and then I realized what yeah. they were doing I love um, that I mean yeah that goes back to kind of the, the time period I think that time period is just hilarious. Like you look at how dumb those the the white people were that um Carl was tricking, and he's like, wait, wait what this guy's playing you? He's like, well, I'll just kill him. And it's, like, it's like, yeah, like that's what they did back then. They just you know, but to us, that's funny looking back. Also, you know, Carl was kind of bad. His bad uh British accent and him trying to pass off was I thought pretty hilarious throughout. I, I actually thought like. Also, to tell you the truth, I thought the poking of like the, I looked like the little boy like poking Zane in the cage was like really funny. Like it was like to me, like it said a lot. It was like, it's like one of those truths and jests 
it's like it's the same thing with like you were saying about like oh like the high yellow versus the you know it's that it's, it's also that colorism in there like the intra-racism like all right like like the like the darker black person has a problem with the lighter skinned black person and it was like that little jest but it was rooted in some truth I, I actually appreciate that's that's some of my favorite comedy is like when it's rooted in truth <laughs> and i think a lot of it happened in, in this in this book i thought it was great just the whole plot line of the jefferson whites was hilarious i mean just this idea of this mountain family that is like so close to kind of getting it and kind of being woke but then like they <laughs> hit you but then they like they hit you with the thing of like and i'm gonna be king of the niggas yeah. and, you know, <laughs> and, then, and then you're just like and you're like oh my gosh you were like i you see the struggle like you understand the injustice and then you say that <laughs> and it's just so and That's why funny. everybody says you're touched. That's right. why they're like, people <laughs> the mountains. But the thing that makes it funny is cuz like they're so close like they like you there's this I think there's a moment when he's giving that long diatribe about how there's going to be this race war that you think like maybe he kind of gets it. And then it just goes totally into crazyville Good and it, it's just hilarious. <laughs> well, it's great cuz you know when we first see um Incognito, he's like in a sea of white people and then you kind of see that precedent that anytime he's around white people he's in constant danger. And then he and he comes across his family, his white family, and they're and they're like, oh, well, they they're not gonna kill him right now, and it's like, oh, but they still want to <laughs> they still want to own them, right? So there's still that there's that balance, I think. I think everyone kind of more or less listed my favorite parts, um, <laughs> but I will have to say I lost it at the ending. I thought the ending was great, like the way they wrapped it up, and like we have to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> that was my Absolutely. favorite. Like, as soon as that happened, I was like, yes! Like, it was so great for me. No, and the ending is so profound because it just shows how, how race is literally a label. You know, this is a man that, that has is a leader in the KKK and because he's his face is published in a newspaper saying that he's incognito they're gonna lynch a white dude right because anyone can look white it's just about what they yeah. la- what, what box they put you in exactly Word. but it is like you know it is so so morbidly hilarious when you just see the mob like yeah. <laughs> encroaching on him and he's like I think we have a misunderstanding <laughs> and you're just like oh man karma's a bitch man right mm-hmm. Don't you love the part when Zane brings his brother to Harlem and his brother's like, oh, so can I start my distillery in that in that woods over there? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, no, that's Central Park. <laughs> He's like, I know. I was just joking. And it's like, where are you though? <laughs> you, know, <laughs> South, you never know. That's a good one. Also, the relationship between Zane and his brother is pretty hilarious because his brother's like in prison about to get lynched. And Zane's like, I forgot what a jackass you were. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know what? I, I'm so sorry, but I, something I forgot to mention before, something very interesting about their family dynamic was that Zane had mentioned that his father didn't just uh, like adore him more because he was lighter skinned. That wasn't the reason. It was because he, I guess, was more determined. He was a better kid. And so that was just very interesting that it was m- when it came to their family dynamic, it was more than just race that dictated their lives, you know? Right. Well, I mean, I think the the race and yeah, he was more. Sorry, they're they're their appearance sorry yeah no absolutely but i I mean i think that's but at the same time kind of what matt johnson's saying by that is that like how like how do you separate like how do you know that like oh if he was lighter would he be more industrious would he be like because you're darker you're presented with less opportunity so we i mean obviously we know the characters because we follow them throughout the story but it's like when they're kids or whatever it's kind of hard to separate but i mean i think also something hilarious and has to do with the brothers that they looked exactly the same but they were just one was just lighter and one was darker and the white people stood it like they had they had the guy 
in the jail that they planned on lynching. <laughs> they were like, they, they, had, they had a date set and everything. And then this guy comes out of nowhere who looks exactly like him, just lighter. They just, <laughs> and then they just don't notice at all. I thought that was pretty hilarious. No, that's the irony of that is absolutely. absolutely hilarious. And it's just pointing to that point that we were talking about earlier of just like how race is such, it's like this, this cloudy thing that's used to basically, you know, maintain a social structure. It's been really awesome to discuss Incognito today. I'm so glad that we got a chance to give it its own podcast because we only briefly touched on it in the Street Justice podcast. And it's an amazing book. And like we have, thanks, Matt Johnson, for this yeah, amazing thank you. Thank book, you. man. Indeed, thanks. Okay, so just to, just to finish it off here, let's go around and say one word that you would use to describe Incognito. Go. Yeah, I mean, groundbreaking is definitely um, probably the best one. I I would say one word to describe it: important. I guess I mean it's a it's a pretty important book, and it looks at race in a really interesting way that we can still relate to today. This doesn't describe it, but it's my favorite. Ayak. <laughs> <laughs> Are you oh a clansman? Oh my god! Are you a clansman? That's like the, that's my like, biggest takeaway. Oh my gosh! I was lolling so hard when I saw that. It's like the dark version. And like, then the sheriff was like, "Hey, what?" Yeah, and I was like. Yeah. And what was the like what was the response like oh yes I am a clansman Ayak or something? Yeah, yeah. Like, a kick, it, I think. A kick? A kick. A, kick. a clansman yeah. I am. A clansman I am. Yes, yes, okay. yes. See, no, see now we know that. Exactly. So if I ever hear someone say Ayak, I'm like, well, get the well, get away from me. I'm scared. Out of here. No, Outta that was there. perfect. That was a perfect answer, Ben too. I'm gonna say nuance because this is a book that uses a lot of different genres it's 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 approaching race but it's never i feel like it's a very sort of complex and dense and well realized meditation on race and social class and we could have you know there's so many things we didn't get a chance to touch on and we could have done like a five hour podcast on this and after our discussion i have as many questions as i had beforehand when i was writing questions because i'm supposed to host this the word i would probably use is painful uh the reason being is because like reading always revisiting those those portions and of uh of american american history because it is our history as much as a lot of people don't like to acknowledge it and say that it wasn't something that actually happened and we're just this wonderful country it, it is our history it's our black history it's our american history it shouldn't be something unfortunately while i appreciative of February being Black History Month, that's, this is fucking American history. So it's painful because a it takes a book like this for people to have like some sort of insight and be comfortable to actually talk about these issues or to like have these issues be on the forefront. And also on top of that, there's going to be a lot of people out there that read this book that don't actually still take away what what it actually means and take away like all of the different like multiple ways of seeing it i think that ultimately it's going to be just consumed as like as just simple like what's the word simple fun when it and, it and it shouldn't be it should be something that's a lot deeper and a lot more understood all right guys so that's our show i want to thank all of our guests uh our cast members for today's show Tariq, Travel, Bintu, and Malia. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. You can definitely, like I said before, you can definitely check us out on our main website, comicsverse.com, but also on social media, on Instagram, on Twitter at, at comicsverse, and facebook.com slash comicsverse. This is Gabby. Thank you for listening, and happy Black History Month. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye.